imagine the kitchen fight from the raid with the the crackling dialogue from a few good men. <laughs> you can't handle my fist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Welcome to Recotopia, a happy home for recommended movies, shows, and music from two people you can definitely trust. Trustability varies by region, no guarantee is implied. Now, here are your hosts, Chris Atkinson and Jeremy Scott. People say I talk with a white voice anyway, so why ain't it helping me out? Well, you don't talk wait enough. I'm not talking about Will Smith's wife. I'm talking about the real deal. Like this young blood. Hey, Mr. Kramer. This is Langston from Regal View. I didn't catch you at the wrong time, did I? Uh, hello, everybody. Hello. 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 Hello, chat over there in the Patreon land. I don't know what yeah. that voice is at all. Um, I like it, though. Yeah, it's good. It's very soothing. Um, so today, it's a Rectopia episode 22. Uh, we're Our big recommend is going to be Sorry to Bother You. Um, mm-hmm. And um, uh, how's everybody doing? How's everybody doing out there? Everybody doing I'll good? I'll tell you what. Yeah? I'm, I'm upset because I just read the Emmy nominations. Yeah? And... Basically, Station Eleven got hosed. Mm. Uh, mm. They gave one nomination for supporting actor in a limited series, but uh, that's it. One you know, nomination. For- Emmy nominations are so weird, though. Like, like you would think Jerry Seinfeld probably won once. I mean, he wasn't a great actor on Seinfeld or anything, but <laughs> you would have thought that he'd have won once from Seinfeld. And I don't think I don't, he didn't. He may not have gotten nominated that much. Uh, but no, like, it was. His supporting cast. Yeah, Julia Louis Dreyfus is the one who like won a lot, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. But uh, anyway, yeah, Emmy nominations are weird. I wouldn't put too much stock in those. Uh, I know that everybody wants to be recognized. They, you know, the the problem really might be Emmys might need to expand a little bit. There's so many TV shows at this point. Yes. Yes. So I mean, there's no need to snub everybody. You need to come out with more. More uh, nominations, I guess. I don't know. I did oh. see uh, Melanie Linsky got nominated for Yellow Jackets. There you so go. That's, that made uh, me happy. That's someone, yeah, someone who should probably win too. I um, think she will. Um, but uh, yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, yeah. I'm glad to see the the chat. Uh, uh you know running like it usually is got some familiar faces there and uh, yeah. Uh, if you guys want to do that, come and join Patreon and come join us on the. On the live show every once in a while, it's, it's fun stuff, man. And, and these guys come up with answers when we're when we're when we're flailing a lot of time. Yep. It's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. Anyway, small recommends today. It's no big deal. It's so small and light. It's small. It's tiny. It's petite. It's wee. Mm-hmm. Small recommends are fun because they're bite-sized little nuggets of in, goodness. Indeed. Uh, my first small recommend this week. Uh, you may have seen me tweet about it, uh, mm. is the Netflix movie, The Sea Beast. Oh. Um, <clears throat> oh. This is uh, the main character's voice by Carl Urban. Okay. And this is directed by one of the co-directors of Moana. Okay. Um, this is his first directorial solo debut. Mm-hmm. Now, I will tell you straight up, uh, I had a really good time with this movie, but this is How to Train Your Dragon... Pirates of the Caribbean, 
<laughs> uh, with a little bit of Jaws. Um, okay. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that there were many beats that not just I saw coming, but even my wife saw coming. Um, but that's not always a bad thing, um, especially if you've got young ones. Uh, there's a really good message here. There's actually a, a very anti-capitalism message hmm. if you care to dig deep enough. Uh, but the real reason I'm recommending this is the animation. Um, it's about sea beasts and pirates, and so there's plenty of time where you know you're watching animation because it's fictional-looking stuff. But there are about five establishing shots of nature. Water, trees, that are photorealistic. It gave me shades of The Good Dinosaur, only that movie has nothing enjoyable about it. Um <laughs> But they were, I kept saying to my wife, they would cut to a transition shot, and I'd go, that looks real. That looks real. Hmm. That looks real. It was incredible animation. Um, so I think uh, you would have a good time. There's so, so many characters to relate to as well that have an arc. Uh, I would say there's three different generations of characters that have a strong arc that you can relate to. So mm -hmm. It's called The Sea Beast. It's on Netflix as of now, and uh, that's my first small recommend. All right. All right. Like, I think I had run across this before, but I did not know what it was about. And uh, I'm instantly wary of animation that comes from, like, out of Netflix. So I was like, eh, I don't know if I want to watch that or not. Although Mitchell's vs. the Machines was really good, although it was a studio that basically sold their movie to Netflix uh, in that yes. case. So um anyway um yeah um uh, may have to give that a give that a look i was also on netflix um in the past few days Ooh. much much darker material here i will go ahead and give a warning to a lot of people because there's some harrowing events that happen in this but uh, it's a documentary called girl in the picture um Ooh. and um it is it is a it's a crime documentary um and it's one of those where it starts off with something very intriguing. Someone, there's a woman who is being, who is put in the hospital. Uh, the doctors notice that she has a lot of prior injuries on her that have to have been from domestic abuse. Um, and they verified her name as, I can't even remember what the original name was because as you'll find out, this girl had many names. Um, uh, and the and she worked as a stripper at in this uh, place in Oklahoma. Uh, she eventually dies of her injuries in the hospital bed, and her friends at the strip club uh, find out what her name you know had, knew her name called called who they thought was her mom, and her mom's like, I my my daughter my daughter died twenty years ago when she was an infant and blah 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 so. I don't know what this is all about. So they had to figure out who this person is. And that's what drives this documentary. Of course, there are, we, we do find out a lot more about her home life. And, you know, she was, uh, her father was abusive sexually and physically to her. Uh, she was also very smart. She was headed towards Georgia tech, uh, education, all this, um, but the the main driver of all this is who is who was this girl, because they couldn't find her real uh, identity during this whole thing. Um, went through went through various names and um, and uh, just 
everybody who knew her knew her as something and and she seemed like a totally normal person but then when the father would enter the picture she would always get pretty scared and everything she also had an infant son uh that you we don't know whether or not it was her father that was the father of that of that baby or someone else um the uh there's so many different layers to this whole thing. There's so many different things going on in this. Um, hmm. And uh, the, you know, the, it, trying to describe this documentary, you have to kind of go through the entire documentary to go through it. You know, like this is you know, like, you know, this, they had to try, they had to try to find this guy because obviously he, he was like, they believe he killed this kid. They caught, they killed her. They killed uh, his daughter's son. And, um, and uh man i'm like making it confusing because it's like there's just so many different things that are going on in this thing but it's really interesting documentaries about this type of stuff usually focus on the killer this folk does focus a somewhat on the killer but it focuses on her mainly and that's one thing that a lot of these documentaries don't do um a lot of times is they'll focus on ted bundy but they won't focus on like you know all the victims of ted bundy um right. and so uh this one is has a lot of like twists and turns to it people who dedicated their lives to trying to figure out who she was where she went uh the life of this the father the life of her son like the, there's never been any verification about what happened to you know there through the most of the documentary you're like what happened to her son you know you just assume that he died he got killed by this horrible guy but you know, you don't really know. You don't really know. And he doesn't, he's not very forthcoming about what's happening. So, um, so yeah, it's one of these, it's got a lot of harrowing stuff in it. Uh, I am doing a terrible job dis discussing what it's, what it's about. Um, but it <laughs> I, intrigued me, but it's very intriguing. And, 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 and in fact, I'm kind of glad I'm not doing a very good job because you want to find out all the re revelations for yourself in this as to who this who this girl was and why her life was the way she was so um so yeah that was uh, uh the, it's really good uh it's got a 7.3 on the imdb and i don't know if that that's a pretty good rating but it's mm -hmm. not like as high as i thought it might be when i when i take a look so maybe there's something in there that's not that people aren't responding to in all of this but mm. Um, Interesting. but, uh, I thought it was very good and intriguing and it's, it's got a lot of like satisfying, uh, twists and turns to it. So. All right. Right on. All right. <clears throat> I have another small recommend that probably everyone has already seen. Uh, and I'm surprised to be recommending Dr. Strange in the multiverse of madness. Mm -hmm. Well, this would be the second is... time actually we're recommending this. You recommended it, mm -hmm. right? Yep. But I, I had not seen it at the time. Mm -hmm. um, and I have now seen it. And every now and then, it just it pays to just let a movie come and go and then see it on your own terms. Um, because this was kind of a divisive movie, at least from the people that I know and follow. Because I had people on one side saying, I really hated this. And I had people on the other side saying, this was awesome. There's so much Raimi in this. Um, and I think if I'd seen it right in the midst of all that, I might have been torn to go one direction or the other. Mm -hmm. In the end, I think it's probably a solid B, maybe mm -hmm. a B plus. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of really good Raimi stuff in here. Um, and the cameos, I don't want to spoil the, the small recommends, but the cameos didn't bother me the way they did in No Way Home. 
because they were cameos mm-hmm. <laughs> and not we we didn't write a third of the story around their appearance. Um, I I liked the first Doctor Strange movie. I liked it mostly for the visuals and for what I think is one of the most humorous climaxes, mm. villain defeats of all time. Mm-hmm. I was expecting a lot of that Inception style world folding in on itself visuals this time, and we didn't get a lot of that. There's still some wild visuals. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but I found myself connected, and I think a lot of it has to do with that younger girl character they bring in that he has to sort of protect, mm-hmm. who sort of grounds him and makes him a little bit more relatable to me. Um, I, I liked it. I had a really good time. I I would like to watch it again. Um, I liked it way more than I expected to. And there is a sequence in here where Doctor Strange fights a version of himself with music notes mm-hmm. where they use the magic thing to create and throw at each other notes. And then the score is like bong, 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 mm-hmm. playing it's one of the most visually stunning, pleasing sequences I've seen in the entirety of the MCU. Mm. Uh, it gave me, it gave me giggle fits. Uh, I really, really enjoyed that, and I don't know who came up with that, um, but that's one of the coolest ideas I've seen. So mm-hmm. anyway, if you haven't seen it, if you were holding off because you heard some negative things, uh, I at least endorse the multiverse of madness. Yeah, as I was saying in my small recommend was that if we're if we are looking for something different in the MCU, we're looking for things that are um, not the same over and over again. This is the kind of movie that we'd like to see. Uh, yep. And I don't know, again, a lot of these directors who came in, they were highly coveted, like Edgar Wright was highly coveted to come in and do Ant-Man and everything, but they didn't have the power to uh to do their own thing sam raimi came in and i'm thinking maybe sam raimi did have the power to do his own thing on this and they you know they kind of let him he he maybe gave a little so that he could he could take a little that type of thing like i'll do the things so that you can continue on with your story but can i do some of my things and then they're like yeah let's do that so um so yeah, that's uh, I, I I enjoyed this too. I can't wait to see it again myself. So, um, I uh I was uh looking around the Criterion Collection uh the other day, and uh I uh I watched Bad Day at Black Rock, which is a Spencer Tracy movie. Um, uh, also stars uh, Lee Marvin and Ernest Borgnine. It's about uh, Spencer Tracy is uh, let off at a at a train station that doesn't normally have stops, and that's very weird. Mm. Goes to a goes to a gets stopped in this in this podunk town just after World War II, and um, he is unassuming. He looks like any other regular guy, but he shouldn't be here. He he's out of place in this town, and everybody who get who comes comes up to talk to him is like. Why did the train stop here? Why did you stop here? And it's very suspicious. Mm. And um, he goes, he's going around town and he wants to find a place to stay and he needs to find a vehicle and all this stuff. And he starts asking around about this Japanese rancher that used to live in the area. And nobody really wants to be forthcoming about the, what, what may have happened to this guy. He's pretty sure something bad happened. Um, 
so Spencer Tracy, you see him throughout trying to first confirm that he can't find this guy and then come back. And what is he going to do about it? And, uh, all these people in the town, there's, there's a, there's a, uh, there's a main villain here, uh, who is, uh, who's played by Robert Ryan. He plays a guy named Reno Smith. Um, he is in charge of basically everybody in the town and there his, a lot of these people just play his, you know, play his ruffians, his ru- you know, he, they, they could, uh, he's, he can send those guys out to kill you if he wants basically. And everything and they're getting suspicious but they don't know exactly what he knows and what he is looking for so they don't kill him right away but there's this building up to it and spencer tracy like goes through some of the like most you know like very kind of abusive things when he gets to when he finds when he when he's asking for a room the hotel manager's like oh we keep this open for cowboys and stuff like that who are who are coming you can't have a room but spencer tracy ends up kind of taking a key anyway and and and, uh and saying well you know just you know i'm gonna take this room that one looks cool and uh goes up into the room and lee marvin is like sitting there going well this is actually my room and spencer tracy doesn't do anything doesn't 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 throw a fit or anything like that and um and ernest borgnine at one point tries to tries to run him off the road when he's going out into this area but he still stands firm doesn't get mean doesn't do anything and he doesn't look like he could do anything if he could right he's he's an older gentleman he's also lost the use of his left arm um Mm. this whole this movie is building just like any old western might you know except it's set in the 40s um and uh and you know we know that there's going to be there's going to be a, a a showdown of some sort by the end of this what happened to the japanese rancher is is one of the things and why why everybody's being quiet about it an interesting mm. kind of a movie back in the 50s you know i we we always think of the 50s as this kind of a time where there's like you know they just you know they're just so racist or whatever but there are a lot of like you know liberal thinking people back in this day and they're and uh, there's a lot of discussion about how Japanese Americans were treated uh, after the uh, in, during World War II. A lot of that is maybe not heavily discussed, but it is at least lightly discussed. It's something that I feel like probably hit home pretty hard, uh, even in the fifties. Uh, even though it was kind of subtly danced about. Uh, this is a really good movie. It's an hour and 20 minutes long. So, um, oh, I like those. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, give this one a, give this one a look. It's on criterion. I don't know if it's on any other services, uh, but it's, it is well worth your time. Really good stuff. Spencer Tracy is just one of those, you know, he's of course he's a legend, but, uh, yes. you know, um, uh, just, uh, it's just very breezy and good. Breezy and good. Mm-hmm. That's uh like ocean breeze soap. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's like indeed. taking an ocean cruise. Only there's no boat, and you don't actually go anywhere. <laughs> yes, is that the is that the beach? Is that the? It's from uh, the Muppets Take Manhattan. <laughs> oh, okay, I was about to say it sounds like the thing in Seinfeld where they're trying to come up with stuff for the beach, the cologne or whatever. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 <clears throat> yeah, yeah. I uh, I have forgotten about that. Um. Okay, so. The Big Recommend. I'm fine, I'm fine. It's just that you're so big. It's so huge. It's a good rule, but this is bigger than rules. It's bigger on the inside. Is it? I noticed. Big, big, big one. Mm-hmm. Is, uh, sorry to bother you. Um, 
this uh this movie when i first watched it this is a movie that does require multiple viewings and at this point this is probably uh, this past weekend when i watched it i've probably seen this three or four times but i also had it in the background several times during this one night where i just played it on repeat basically and uh was uh i I also listened to the commentary by boots riley on this who wrote and directed Mm. this um but um this movie is just it is it is completely out there right as far as reality is concerned um but it is a it is a satire and you must watch it as such um and um and no matter how wild things get know that there's a point to it even though it might by the end of it you go oh what the fuck is this this has gone completely off the rails um even though it goes off the rails by the end of it there is a point to there's a whole method to the madness at least to the way i understand it so and maybe to some people it's just weird uh whatever but anyway let's talk about this this movie is uh uh just a really funny exploration of just i mean poverty essentially um the uh, lakeith stanfield lives in a lives in his uncle's garage um with his girlfriend played by tessa thompson and uh and uh they can't even they can't even make out uh without the garage door opening and the whole neighborhood seeing them and everything uh mm-hmm. he owes a lot of money to his uncle played by terry cruz and um he's looking for a job so the job he goes to uh, goes to apply for is this telemarketing service and he lies about everything that he is he's he's done in the past looks really good though the guy tells him like like you know you said that you worked at the oakland bank branch in 2014 to 2016 it's like well i was the manager of the oakland branch 2014 he's like you know what that's that means didn't you weren't fucking there you fucking lied and uh and so he thinks this might be a deal breaker right that he lied so much and then but the guy points out like because he's made a trophy and he's made this like employee of the month plaque and all that and he's like you know what that tells me right there that you've got the initiative to do this job. So like all the lying he did actually helps him get the job. Um, and, uh, and so he is, he's selling, uh, he's selling this, you know, basically this is just basically this junk to, to people just cold calling people. And I, I like the, um, I like how they, they show that how intrusive these calls are really like, and that's that's part of the satire right like of course his call he's not in there in the room while you're having sex taking a call but that's exactly what that call feels like right and right. and and so like so like every time he makes a call he's in this person's room he's trying to talk to these people and and he and it shows you how silly a lot of this thing they tell him to stick to the script this woman he he calls this one woman and the woman is like oh my husband died and blah 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 and 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 then he's like oh my god what do i do with this one and he finds a thing on the script that says well, it's interesting you talk about that because we have this product and everything and she's like just hangs up on him. But he's he he quickly comes to realize that he may not be able to sell his stuff because he's not using a white voice. This is the first one like one of the big reveals of this movie of of having to use a white voice. Danny Glover 
uh, is in here. And I, from what I understand, there's a point where he says, I'm too old for this shit. And that was not, that was not, he, he, Boots Riley did not write this with Danny Glover in mind and forgot that that, that line was in there. So it ended up being a fun lethal weapon callback, even though it wasn't supposed to be. But anyway, Danny Glover (laughs) tells him he needs to start using your white voice. And this is something that I've heard quite a bit that black people, have to use different voices in places in different situations and everything. So um, this is one where he's using it to sell things. He has to basically not be himself to sell things. And uh, and after a while, he becomes very good at it because he's got this white voice and he's got a natural salesman ability. The white voice is played by David Cross. Um and it and uh it's just it's just really it's just really funny seeing danny david cross's voice come out of lakeith stanfield uh and everything and, and later on there's another salesman that has Patton oswalt's voice that comes out but uh uh the whole goal of this thing is to try to become this mega caller or whatever the uh you know the uh the super the super caller or whatever it is to make the real money you can go up in your own like just like this elevator that's like a living room almost <laughs> and and go up to this higher floor and and sell this this mystery thing that nobody really knows what's what what they're selling up there but that's where you make the real money conflict of this though is that he's getting good at this and he's being noticed while the workers down on the ground want to form a union they feel like they're being shit on and of course they are they're being shit on mm-hmm. uh steven yoon who you might rem- remember from minari is the mm-hmm. guy who's who's running this, uh, who's who's leading this charge to get a bunch of people to unionize, put their phones down at twenty minutes, and and not make this company any money. Called Regal View is their is their uh, is their uh, is their name. Um, uh, but he's getting good at it, and like there's a conflict because he he's you know they're you know hey yeah we want to make sure that the workers get what they want but at the same time he's about to be promoted and so it causes a rift between he and his friends leading to one of the best scenes of the movie by the way where he's he like <laughs> stanfield says i'm with you guys you know i'm 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 just doing it from the sideline what i'm doing up here has nothing to do with what you guys are doing down there and his buddy this is what leads to that thing where they try to top each other with politeness, but it's definitely Ugh. being, it's definitely more mean than usual or whatever. And he's like, yeah. I hope you have a nice day. And he's like, I, I hope, hope you have a nice day. I hope you have a nice day. <laughs> I hope, oh, well, I hope you have a great week. And he's like, I hope your months are full with, filled with beautiful days or whatever. And they just keep trying <laughs> to top all that. And, uh, and then they're like, I was like, you know what? I think we should go and go to the bar and get a drink. How about two drinks? No, three drinks. They get all the way up to 10 <laughs> drinks. Um, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's one of my favorite scenes of like the past 10 years, probably that, that, uh, trying to top each other with a politeness. Um, but yeah, when he, to, to sort of put a button on it and then figure out what you thought about this movie, when he gets called up to the super caller stat- status, he finds out that this is about, uh, selling, basically it's selling people. He mm-hmm. is selling slaves. There is this uh, company called Worry Free, which is housing their employees at the place that they work and doing commercials. They're like, hey, look at this life you can have. 
basically living with six other people and having children with everybody. Like it's just having children in those circumstances. Uh, you know, you are, you are always going to be at this place working and living for no wage. It's basically in return, you get a, you get a roof over your head. That's basically all yep. it is. And, um, and the things that they're, you know, the first one he has to do is something like, uh, it's like a, was it a phone company or something like that? I can't remember what it was, but it's to, it's basically selling, selling off free human labor to help this phone company crush this other phone company, uh, who have to have to pay for their employees, those, those <laughs> dumbasses. So, um, so anyway, uh, what did you think about this movie? Uh, I believe I said last week that I had seen this movie once. Mm -hmm. uh, in hindsight, I had seen half of this movie once. Okay. Um, what I want to say most is that this movie fucked with my head. And I see immense artistry and craftsmanship at work here. Mm -hmm. I really, really do. Mm -hmm. I personally think its messages get a little muddied by the end because it's saying so much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But man, it's audacious, and I absolutely applaud it uh, for daring to do almost all the things it does to do. Um, God, there's so much going on here. I think uh, that's... Elevator password, where the girl types in like <laughs> seventy five different numbers. Yeah, she's even there's a point where she's almost done, and it's like more yeah. buttons than she already pressed. <laughs> I, I, there's a little Zucker Brothers in that moment. Mm -hmm. A little bit of the you know airplane goofiness in this movie. Mm -hmm. uh, that is probably my single favorite gag. I probably laughed more at that than any other moment in the movie because it just keeps going. You think. Oh, 25 buttons is probably enough to make this joke. But mm -hmm. I bet she presses 75 or 100 different buttons. It just mm -hmm. keeps going. Meanwhile, you have um, uh, the elevator voice is played by Rosario Dawson. That's another fun yes. little thing. Yeah. I, I think it's fascinating. This movie has two main messages, I think. Poverty versus wealth, mm -hmm. like you were talking about. And then I think it's trying to say a lot about race, too. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's maybe where it gets muddled for me, is that it ends up taking a wild left turn into horse people country mm -hmm. that is entertaining, but really basically pushes the racial themes to the side for the most part and ends with the rich people fucking suck and probably always will. I did not see the horse people coming. I've got to admit, no matter how much wild shit they threw at me, the first two thirds of that movie, um, I, I thought, for sure, he was on drugs. Like, like the cocaine he had snorted was fucking with him, and he was hallucinating for a good five minutes. Mm -hmm. I was like, well, when's he going to come out of this drug trip? It's not a drug trip. They're half horse, half people. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> but I do think it almost has to be this wild in many ways, because there's so many movies that are less, that are more subtle, that have come before to make some of these same points, but not from this guy's perspective. Um, I, I liked it. I don't know if I enjoyed it enough to say I love it and I want to watch it over and over, but I do need, I do want to watch it again because there's, like you said, there's so much going on. I don't think it's possible to take it all in, uh, on just one, one viewing. 
it blows my mind that this and Blind Spotting were shooting in Oakland at the same time. Yeah, I know. That's... It's just two masterworks, two you know, young directors going, ah, I'm going to do what I want and mm-hmm. it's probably going to work. Yeah. Mm. Um, I, 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 I was with you on that. The, with the, with the Equisapiens that show up towards the end, uh, it's always, it's always the moment in the movie where either, you know, <laughs> either you're like, okay, now I'm going to check out or, it's, <laughs> or it's the moment where, you try to, if you're with it, and it took me a couple viewings to be with it, by the way. Um, I, I'm going to have, I'm going to struggle trying to come up with words here, but I think when you look in a satire world like this, satire is always putting a mirror up to society and distorting it in some way, right? Mm. Um, when you look at onion headlines, you, you know, you see something where it's like, like, oh, that's just a little bit too far from where we're at, but it still seems within reason uh, that that's something that could happen. Like, that's how close things are in the onion a lot of times. This one, I think there the message is is basically saying, yes, this is completely and totally ridiculous that somebody would have people snort cocaine that would turn them into horses, horse people, and it makes them a stronger uh, workforce uh, that will help help us out. But I kept thinking about that and thinking about it and ending up on the idea that while that is completely out there, just imagine if, rich people could do that to other people. Don't you think that the the groundwork is laid that they could get away with it? That's the kind oh, yeah. of, that's the kind of thing that I I think about when I see something like this. Yes, this is way what this is going to you're visually this is hard to take, right? You see all these horse people and everything in the, in the bathroom and they're like in pain and 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 but Especially when Army Hammer tells him what the plan is, where it's like we're gonna have this as a, we're gonna have these Equisapiens as our as our workforce. They're stronger than than humans. They can do more than humans can, and we want you to be the Martin Luther King <laughs> of this group. Basically, saying we already know this is fucked up. We already know that this is going to cause problems to society. Why don't we have somebody who's out there rising against this that we can control? I, I, yeah. I'm floored by the message that that sends. And in the end, as ridiculous and as hard to accept that stuff is at the end, I feel like it's exactly where it needed to go. Like at this point, maybe I am just drinking the movie's Kool-Aid and everything. It took me a while to be on board with this, right? Because it's a hard thing to get past. This yeah. movie has been kind of funny and little, you know, little Zucker brothery at times, and then all of a sudden they throw horse people at you, right? Mm-hmm. I just think that's what the movie's message is: is that yes, we have gotten to the point where wealthy people can do whatever the fuck they want, and we're going to be okay with it because people are making money in the end. People, well, are- and he even. 
he even exposes them and goes on a 24-hour news jamboree exposing the horse people with this secret video, right? Mm-hmm. And then he says at the end, I just told everybody everything and they don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. And that hit home for me because this was made in 2017, well before the pandemic. But this felt very prescient for me when he was like, you can show the people this horrible, awful truth and they just don't care. They don't mm-hmm. care. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So not only can rich people do whatever the hell they want, but it's just, it's almost impossible for us to empathize with other people anymore. Um, I thought one of the most telling things the movie had to say was that they wanted him to have a white voice at the office, but at the party, they wanted him to act black. Mm-hmm. Oh my God, yeah. And the sequence where he tries to rap... And then goes into... Yeah, something we can't talk about. Something we can't talk about. But his face, because at first he's like, yeah, I got him now. But then I think he starts to realize, whoa, what have I done? What? A, what? I don't want to be a part of this mm-hmm. anymore. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so I guess for me, maybe multiple viewings will help. I was expecting the punch at the end to be more racially based in terms of themes, like blind spotting, uh, where it veers more into the class elements. Although race and class are kind of intermixed in this country. Uh, So, you know, maybe he's saying both at the same time. It is a movie that I I can't get my head around, so it needs... It demands another viewing, Uh, but I definitely didn't have a bad time. I think that, you know, creating a whole new race to uh, oppress is definitely saying what you're saying there. That's true. That's true. I didn't think about it from that angle. Um, uh, It's it's almost like just, you know, enough is never enough with these people and everything. Uh, I mean, I, I I love the chat. By the way, there's a lot of stuff here um, that's being talked about that I kind of we don't usually go too too much into chat. But this movie has definitely got a lot of people talking. Like one, Abina says, I mean, I think it t- makes the point that people who exploit race as employers are going to exploit people even when race isn't a factor. Um, and um, and yes, it's turning poor, unsuspecting into an exploited workforce. You know, the other thing. You know, the game show is brought up in this, the one where you get the kick, sh- the, you know, they kick the shit out of you or whatever. And that's entertainment. It's kind of yeah. like the Al my balls and idiocracy and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the, it shows him at first just getting beaten up. I don't think it's any, any, uh, I don't think it's by accident by three white dudes. He's getting beat up right. by in that, in that scene. Also, he can tell his story. Um, yeah. He gets beat up, and the next thing cuts to him, he's covered in shit. Um, And uh, he finally is able to – he's only known at this point as the guy who's walking through a crowd, and this woman throws something at him and hits his head. He wears that bandage forever, by the way. It's bleeding through. That's something that I'm not – I don't know – why that is in the movie yet like why he keeps wearing that bandage and has that blood seeping through it the whole time there was a point where i was thinking just like you like you know the cocaine and maybe he's just tripping and everything maybe he gets hit in the head and then he dreams the rest of this or whatever but Mm. um that's the only thing i could think of but the other to another point you brought up there's so many ideas being thrown out at one time in this I think sometimes there's some that are not developed and, and like there's so 
there's just so many things going on we're like oh you're going a direction with this but i don't know what that where that ends up like there's a point where uh there's and my mind is going in a million different directions right now but like steven yoon at one point he is he is shown as the guy who's trying to work for the he's working for the common man in this but there's this odd speech where he's like he's like we want to get we want to get uh, free medical from our employers so that we can treat the gonorrhea and the chlamydia stuff that you just found out about on WebMD. And like, why is he being ridiculed at this point? Because he's the guy who's, you know, he's, he's the guy fighting for the common man in this. So what is, why are we trying to find failings in him? That was one thing that was really weird about this, but uh, going back to the game show, this is another part of that theme of this thing. Everybody in this is hustling in some way to try to try to make a living or 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 be popular or whatever. Being on this show where you just humiliate yourself to 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 uh, or or just get physically beaten to get what you want. Uh, even Tessa Thompson as an artist, even though her art seems like it's not a sellout type of thing, it's kind of a sellout kind of thing because she goes in and she's she's using a white voice to talk to all the like maybe the potential financial backers of this thing and then her whole show is <laughs> reciting words from uh what's the movie oh my god i can't remember the movie um she keeps reciting the words from that movie Gah. someone's going to be able to come up with it um oh the last dragon it's the last dragon she keeps on saying that same word from the last dragon and uh people just throwing stuff at her the whole time she's basically naked except for like two hands over her boobs and one over her crotch and they're just people just throwing stuff at her and this is another just a part of the humiliation that you have to go through to make a living in this and and, and meanwhile she's also spinning signs out on the sidewalk and stuff like that you just see all this stuff that all the stuff that people have to go through just to make a living is insane in this and i think everything builds up to that where like just and, and and every time you think that you're on the new you're on a new level like when lakeith stanfield thinks that he's on a new level that he's he's uh, he's hit a point that's the top he just finds out that he's not the top that he never will be the top because these other these these army hammers of the world are always going to be the ones controlling things mm. um mm. so um i think I want to dig in the next time I watch it. I want to dig into a lot of the stuff that I just noticed, but I, I don't know what it was saying. Like her sign twirling is very interesting to me because she's twirling at one point, she's twirling a sign outside of what looks like it says discount market above it. It looks mm -hmm. like basically a convenience store. Mm -hmm. Those places don't hire sign twirlers in real mm -hmm. life. Mm -hmm. So I feel like the movie is saying something about her being there at one point, she's twirling a sign that says signs in front of a store called Signs. <laughs> yeah. And again, I don't know if that's just supposed to be funny, like the buttons on the elevator, or if there's a deeper meaning there. It feels like there's a deeper intent there, uh, just because there's so much depth to the other parts of this movie. But then it's stuff like that Stephen Yeun joke where the crowd is re reacting, and then he says the gonorrhea thing, and they're like, oh. Mm -hmm. He awkwardly goes, oh, we have power to the people. Yeah, like, yeah. I mean, that, that joke felt like it belonged in a different movie. It or does. For a different character. There, that is one I misfire love, in this, for sure. I love all the stuff about uh, meme culture and how, um, just, sorry, bitch, have a, have a cola or whatever oh, the phrase yeah. is. 
where she, the woman that originally hit him in the head, um, that video goes viral. She becomes a viral star, releases a song about it. Mm -hmm. And then later on, he sees people are buying and wearing wigs yes. with cola cans attached to them. This, he's saying something with all of that. That's intentional. Mm -hmm. I'm just not... I'm just not sure if it's as simple as, you know, we care more about memes than we do the workers. It may be that simple. Mm -hmm. um, but I just there's a lot going on in this movie, and it's, I feel like it's hard for me to really know what it's well, saying. Well, I took that as a cultural appropriation thing, that whole the putting on the wig and putting the Coke can in it and everything. Because it was all white people who put on the wig and had the Coke can in their... And it, that, that was, that's sort of what I took from that. But you're right, there's also there's also the part that is the meme part of it, too. So, like, you know, is it is it really the meme or is it the cultural appropriation? Is it both? A lot of the... A lot of that kind of gets mixed into what has like her, a lot of ideas going on. Her earrings, I feel like her earrings are really important because they keep getting commented on. And every time we see her, they're big and have a different phrase mm -hmm. on them. And I feel like that's more than just a sight gag. I feel like, I feel like this movie is an onion, man. And yeah. I gotta peel it. Yeah, this is something that I that this is a movie that I wish I could sit down with Boots Riley and talk about this for like three hours, and just dissect every section of this. That's how that's how much is going on in this movie. It's it's not long either. You we've talked about a whole bunch of stuff that happens in this, and it's not a long movie by any stretch. No, um, uh, but it's packed. It is packed full. There's not a minute wasted in this. So, um. Uh, anyway, I am hoping that it looks like most of the chat really enjoyed this and at least has a lot to say about it more than, more than our average one that we come up with, yeah. uh, there. And I, I kind of hope this movie gets, you know, gets more into the forefront and more people dissect it over the years and, and more things can be found from this. Cause it's, it's one of those type of movies. I just, yeah. Um, it's not perfect, but it's, it's certainly something that's going to have you thinking for a really long time afterwards. So, yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I'm definitely glad that you brought it up, um, brought it into my life, even though I did pause it, um, and say what the fuck about 17 times in a row. <laughs> It is one of those I movies. Watching. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, should we move into the double feature of the week? Be very, very quiet. Secret? What secret? A dirty little secret. I tell you something I've never told anyone. Yeah, let's. Well, I'm, I'll be very interested to hear what your double feature is on this one. You should be because this is next to impossible. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> there is no way to double feature this with a movie that is like this movie, okay? Uh, in terms of the wild satire and the horse people, as well as the social commentary, if I wanted to go with the satire angle, you brought it up earlier, Idiocracy would be a really good one to go mm -hmm. to. The, the, the similarity of the game shows, uh, the similarity of the cluelessness of the average people uh, to what's happening above them. Uh, there were some moments early on that before the movie got truly weird, I was thinking office space mm, might be yeah, yeah. a contender. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> I thought about Black Klansman a little bit okay, because I do think there's a similar, the, 
He's trying to sell himself, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I think that could. I also thought about downsizing in terms. Yeah, downsizing. Definitely. Not a great film, but in terms of wild, big swing satire Mm -hmm. uh, with social commentary, I'm going to settle on perhaps a predictable Get Out. Okay. Um, Which also has Lakeith Stanfield in it. Mm -hmm. Um, Just in terms of what people in power in this Get Out instance, white people, uh, would do if they actually could get away with it Mm -hmm. uh, at the expense of black people. Um, I got a lot of Get Out vibes at various moments throughout this film. Definitely. They're not tonally the same um, at all, Um, but... Thematically, I think they're compatible. They both have a scientific process by which someone becomes someone else, basically. Yeah, and then then they're not themselves anymore. They're used by a a rich, powerful white guy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, Anyway, um, looks like, let's see, do we have any suggestions? Oh, downsizing. Somebody gave some points to downsizing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, So, yeah, that would be my double feature would be Get Out, I think, it would be it would, you almost demand a roundtable discussion after <laughs> completing both films, mm, yeah, um, so that everybody learns something before they go home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> all right, and now I need to give you homework for next week, and uh, I have decided to make everybody watch Michael Clayton. Michael Clayton. This is a 2007 uh, George Clooney dramatic thriller. Uh, it is on Netflix. Um, and it looks like you can rent it from any of the other usual places. Um, <clears throat> this has some depth to it. Uh, this has some commentary, but um, it's mostly a character study, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and uh, it's one of my favorite movies. Um, and I think Chris knows and likes this movie as well. This movie is great. Um, okay, excellent. Yeah, I... Um... The fr- I remember first, this is the first time I ever really was introduced to clapping in the theater, which I do not endorse. I don't, <laughs> I'm not a big fan of clapping in the theater, uh, but there is a scene in this and I think you know which one uh, I'm, I'm thinking of that yes. the whole audience just ripped up into uh, applause uh, uh, during and everything. This is that type of, of, of a movie. Um uh, was this, this was, uh, t- uh was it t- Troy, Tony Gilroy, Gilroy, uh, Tony Gilroy. Yeah. It's Tony Gilroy did this one. Um, and, um, I think that's his name, right? <laughs> it's, well, Tony Gilroy is listed as the writer and director. So okay, yeah. good, good. Um, uh, but yeah, this is a really good movie. Um, I can't wait to look at it again. The last one, the last time I saw this was probably not too long ago. It was maybe it was last year. I think I saw this. So, um, so, uh, but, uh, but, uh, anyway, yeah, be looking forward to, uh, to revisiting this. Um, it's funny also pay attention to the final scene because the very final scene of this movie, because, uh, they filmed it without, I think they, they filmed this and there were all sorts of like people who didn't know a movie were being, was being filmed. And so Clooney's reaction at the end of this movie is kind of like uh you know it's 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 uh it, you think you think you know what he's what it what it is what it's all about but he's reacting to the people who are 
like basically saying hey Clooney or whatever something to him so, um but uh anyway uh yeah this is uh this is good stuff i can't wait to see it again all right awesome uh you have your homework we still have a few minutes for some questions okay several left over from last week so mm-hmm. let's try to get through mm-hmm. some of these question question i got something to say i want the truth i am listening whose filmography do you think you have seen the most of Mm, okay, well, going to go out on a not-so-precarious limb and say, as far as actors are concerned, Samuel L. Jackson. I've probably seen more Samuel L. Jackson than any other actor. Um, when you think of all the huge actors out there who come out with their, you know, their big movie per year or every couple of years, like DiCaprio or Brad Pitt or somebody like that, they aren't in nearly enough movies to touch Samuel L. Jackson as far as actors. Right. Like if I went through his filmography, there's probably more that I've missed than I've seen, and I've still seen a ton. Uh, that's how it, how his filmography is. As far as directors are concerned, it's Steven Spielberg all the way. There's mm-hmm. I, I I've seen every one of his features, every mm-hmm. single one of them. There's hasn't been one I've missed. That's how big mm-hmm. of a director spielberg is so um i've even seen a lot of the shitty ones he came out with in that last decade or so so uh so yeah uh i choose to interpret this question jeremy style okay which is to say i'm gonna go with matt damon because between the born movies and interstellar and the martian i've probably seen those movies 200 times okay so, so not, you're talking about percentage not... of filmography but yeah, yeah. Okay. how many times i've seen his his work mm-hmm. uh i just i wanted to interpret it different just to be weird mm-hmm. you know how i do yeah 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 um all right let's see who else we got here the sam jackson was mentioned spielberg of course mcu of course indiana jones oh indiana jones for spielberg mm-hmm. watches alone mm-hmm. yep <clears throat> all right <clears throat> I saw in an interview where Edgar Wright was interviewing Christopher Nolan, which got me thinking, which two directors would you love to see co-direct a movie? By the way, you are inviting chaos by trying to do this, um, mm-hmm. by just picking two directors and putting them together, but let's do it. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you when you come up with two great directors, you're going to have a clash of egos that are insane, right? Like, how does how do you let go? If you're, you know, what, I, and so I, I went ahead and just said full chaos. Let's do Quentin Tarantino and Martin Scorsese because, um, <laughs> because uh, that would be insane. Now Tarantino has in the past collaborated with directors. He sure. he collaborated sure. with Robert Rodriguez on uh, Sin City. Well, Robert Rodriguez collaborated with Quentin Tarantino on Sin City because Tarantino directed that car scene uh, in in the in the movie. But he also. Did he also, well, he also collaborated somewhat on the, well, I don't know if on the two individual movies of Grindhouse, it may have just been, I don't think they had input on each other's movies, but he collaborated before. So I imagine if Scorsese said something to the effect of, you know, I'm going to do this and you do that, he'd probably be, be cool. But like, I'm just sitting there thinking, what if Tarantino is like seeing a movie, seeing a scene that Scorsese is, is, uh, is, is directing as no, 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 we need to do it this way or whatever. But I want to see those two minds get together on some movie somehow, some way. And, the, and, and even if they have to say, you do this stuff and I do that stuff. And then we edit it together. That's the way I want to see it. So, 
Uh, there was a video going around Twitter last week uh, from back in the day when Fiona Apple was dating Paul Thomas. Anderson. Oh, yeah, yeah. I saw that. She's at a table with Quentin Tarantino and he's just tar- Tarantino in mm-hmm. talking and she just looks like her eyes are rolling back into the back mm-hmm. of her head. I oh, can't yeah. imagine Spielberg trying to be like, just shut up, Quentin. I want to mm-hmm. get the shot locked. Yeah. Um, I'm going with Gareth Evans from the Raid movies okay. and uh, Sorkin Fincher. So we can have both kinetic fight scenes and kinetic arguing scenes. Mm, Maybe mm. one that has both. Where imagine the kitchen fight from the raid with the the crackling dialogue from a few <laughs> good men. <laughs> you can't handle my fist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, yeah, I see. We got uh, Scorsese and Taiki Waititi. Waititi. Yeah, Taiki Waititi. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, Donald Glover and Jordan Peele. Um, Christopher Nolan and Edgar Wright, which would be good. Uh, Spike Lee Ooh. and Bong Joon Ho. Yeah, yeah. Ooh. That would be amazing. Coen Brothers and P.T. Anderson. Yeah, that's uh, that's uh, those are two. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so nice. yeah, I, I like all those. I mean, I, I, in general, I like the idea of direct of any kind of mashup that you put out there just to see what you come out with, because that would be very interesting and fun. Uh, let's do one more final quick one okay. uh, before we say goodbye. This is based on a trending topic on Twitter from over the weekend. Gail Simone, who's a comics writer and an incredible Twitter follow, um, had asked everybody what their favorite punch was from a movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, I jumped into the thread to defend Back to the Future, and that was like the top voted reply mm. immediately. It was Back to the Future punch. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and so, uh, Chris, what, what, do you, uh, what do you answer for your favorite punch in a movie? Yeah, I saw this thread too, and I saw several that I really liked. I did not see, but I get, I'm sure it was mentioned, uh, the one that John Travolta does in Get Shorty um where he he's at a restaurant and he goes to get his coat and the coat's not there because they find out that uh um god what's his name uh Dennis Farina's taken it uh he's 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 taken the coat and so Travolta uh like knows where where uh, uh Farina lives and he goes to goes to his uh, apartment or her ho- house or something like that knocks on the door Farina opens the door and Travolta just punches him immediately as he opens the door <laughs> and then goes and gets his coat and then puts it on and then walks out while while Farina's still like oh my god you broke my nose <laughs> <laughs> I love that movie mm-hmm. um I'll go with the there's a, there's a single punch in Batman v Superman, mm. Batman is kicking ass in that warehouse where there is a henchman fully upright in front of Batman. And mm-hmm. Batman's left hand comes in and hits him, and the dude just planks onto the ground. It's like a body slam punch. Mm-hmm. Uh, that scene remains one of my favorite Batman scenes ever. But mm-hmm. that, I would probably pick that punch. Well, there's probably a bunch that I could pick, but that's the one I'm picking today. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got Hulk in the Avengers. I guess that means punching Thor. Away. Well, there's the uh, it's um it's um Loki when Loki's just sitting there and Hulk punches him. I think he punches Loki and Thor humorously Thor? in that movie. I don't know. Well, there's a moment where they're like standing there and Thor's next to him and he just goes <laughs> and punches Thor through the wall, but I don't know where that is in the. Movie. Uh, I thought that was Loki for some reason. Um, uh, but that's yeah, probably Loki's it. Thing. If it's Thor, then it's probably yeah. That's that's the one that I'm thinking of. Where they're just standing there and he just punches him. Yeah. Um, but, uh, it looks like, yeah, there's a uh, Tony Jaa and, uh, Ong Bak. Yep. 
Yep. Ooh, um, it's the one. first knee thrown. It's not a punch. It's a, it's a knee thrown. And then there's a, <laughs> uh, oh yeah, Clooney getting punched and brother were oh brother were aren't thou? That's pretty funny. Yeah. Um, yeah it is. Uh, then there's uh, Joe Pesci punches that dude, my cousin Vinny. Um, yeah, some good stuff there. So good um, stuff. <clears throat> um, anyway, uh, yeah, next week is Michael Clayton folks Ooh. that's the homework and uh, once again I'd like to thank the chat for coming in and uh discussing this movie today it was a while it was like uh not wild but man there were there were people having opinions on this sorry to bother you today and i was i really appreciated that today uh uh it always adds more perspective to the movie you've watched you sometimes use you watch a movie and you're like i've got this down this is what i think about this and then other people come in with another perspective and you're like oh yeah, that's another good way to, to think about it. So, anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah. Uh, thank you, guys. We will see you next time. See ya. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye. part of the live show by being a member of the sin club at patreon at patreon.com slash cinemasins chat with us on the cinemasins discord at discord.gg slash cinemasins or cinemasins twitter at cinemasins and email any comments or questions to recotopia at cinemasins.com that's r-e-c-o-t-o-p-i-a at cinemasins.com So you're Rage Against the Machine, first night of the tour. They yell, abort the Supreme Court, mm -hmm. and they update the lyrics of Killing in the Name. Mm -hmm. Second night of the tour, I don't know if you heard about this, last uh, night, uh, dude injures his leg, lead mm -hmm. singer. Yeah. <clears throat> Has to leave the stage, comes back out, and he sits on a monitor on the stage and says, I'm going to quote the news article, I don't know what happened to my leg right now, straight up, but you know what? We're going to keep this fucking shit going. I can crawl across this stage. We're going to play for you all tonight. Mm -hmm. And then when they were done, every band member hugged him, and the crew came and carried him off like a king. Nice. Uh, so, uh, again, I say, you are in for a treat, my friend. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it reminds me of uh, when I went to see Foo Fighters, and, um, and um, Dave Grohl did it in uh, a chair pretty much the whole time. Oh, right, because he's broken his leg. Yeah, which is something that apparently he got it from Axl Rose, who did the same thing oh, uh, wow. for Guns N' Roses. So, um, yeah, anyway, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that uh, for sure. They're going all over the world, dude. They're going to Poland and uh, Czechos the Czech Republic. Uh, they're going everywhere. Yeah. Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have this clampy microphone I can pull down whenever I want and put it mm -hmm. back up when I don't need it. <clears throat> yeah. It'll look like it coming down out of the sky. That'll be sweet. That's great. Is he still in Montreal? Mm-hmm. So they had the first pick and they had they hosted the draft? Mm-hmm. Have you seen any video of the first pick? I haven't seen the video, but I know that they didn't pick the guy everybody wanted. Right. They didn't pick the guy everybody wanted. The guy they picked is really good. And the audience reaction is just this... Oh, it's this amazing noise that can only mean complete shock. Mm -hmm. Like, they're not necessarily angry. They're not necessarily happy. They're just like, whoa, mm -hmm. nobody saw that coming. 
I remember when they got Ellie Tolvin and that was the year after they went to the Stanley Cup and everything. And everybody was like, yeah. I can't believe Ellie Tolvin fell this far. And now it's yeah. like we're seeing flashes every once in a while of what he could be, but we think we kind of know what he is at this point. That's the thing with hockey players, man. It takes like five freaking years to even know. Mm -hmm. And unless you have a Sidney Crosby, Connor McDavid type that comes along mm -hmm. where there's really just no doubt, uh, it's just a crepe. It's like baseball. For the, baseball and hockey are both weird that way. Yeah. Football and basketball, you just get right to it. But there's something about those sports that require more. And it's it obviously is the case because you see players get better as they develop over the years. I remember when we first got Forsberg, we were like, oh, he's going to be a 40-goal scorer. And he was like a 19-goal scorer, and he still looked awesome, and he's gotten better and better. Uh, Yeah, there was a period of time there. When, if you were following the Braves, it was like, oh my God, look at this farm system. Like, <laughs> like if you, during that, during that period of time where they weren't winning all the time and they were, they were just kind of scraping by or whatever, like the, 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 we could always look forward to the future. And it was like, here are the pitchers that they're going to have. They're going to have Julio Tehran. They're going to have Tommy Hansen. They're going to have all these people who are going to be anchoring the rotation for years and then all these hitters that you were think we're talking about like, Oh my God. And then you'd find out like, Oh, those are the top guys in our system. That's not really the top of the top in the minor leagues itself. Like a couple of guys would make the top 100, but not like mm. the whole system or whatever. And they mm. came up and you're like, all right, we got Julio Tehran. We got Tommy Hansen. We got all these people. And they just never, never were great. Never. And yeah. got traded away or released or cut, whatever. Um, just never, uh, never panned out. Yeah, that's 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 baseball. It's almost like a human stock market. Mm -hmm. It kind of is. I mean, it basically is, right? You're investing mm. in the future potential of this person, and sometimes you bust out, and sometimes you it's a big windfall. Mm -hmm. I'm amazed by that guy whose name I dare not pronounce. Who plays for the Angels, man? I just as oh, a Shelly Atani. Yes, I don't. I I didn't know. I've never heard it pronounced. I only read it um but he's doing things that i didn't think as a kid were ever going to be possible in mm, baseball because mm -hmm. i remember hearing about babe ruth being a pitcher and a slugger mm -hmm. um and it just felt like mythical yeah and this guy's just got voted to the all-star team for both mm -hmm. for both hitting and for pitching yeah it's unreal yeah it's kind of amazing that there weren't more kids over the years who were sort of uh trained to be both like they're like look a lot of great pitchers come out of high school and they're the best athlete on the team and they hit 400 and they hit 20 home runs or whatever it is in high school yeah that's that's a lot um and uh but then as you know the the philosophy with all those guys was we want you to be a great pitcher and to be the great pitcher you have to be focusing on that mostly so we're not we're going to take you away from the hitting and um, not to say that there would be very many Shohei Atanis out there. It's not right. like there would be like, you know, 10, 15 of those guys. That, that He's still rare uh, even even then. But, yeah, <laughs> there was some tweet. I can't remember. 
I can't remember the name the guy came up with. It's really funny, though. He's like, every day I'm reading something like, Mike Trout is doing this and that, and Shohei Otani has done something that hasn't been done since Jim Butterwing's, you know, <laughs> Jameson back in 1922 or something like that, you know? <laughs> He's like a good pitcher, but I think I think every time I've ever like watched him pitch, that's his off night. Like, oh. like, like he'll be coming off of some like six innings shutout, shutout game or whatever, and then th then there'll be some national game focusing on him, and it's like you know he's given up. He gives up like four or five runs in the first two innings. Oh man, I uh, <clears throat> I saw uh, a video on Twitter of him from a recent game. Uh, striking out. I don't know if it was three guys in a row, but the, the video was three strikeout pitches, mm -hmm. three third strikes, and they were all kind of like sinkers. Mm -hmm. um, they looked, he looked good in that video, but yeah, it's like, it's like taking your car to the shop and it won't make the noise for the mechanic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, the cool thing that they do nowadays they can do is they can show if there's a pitcher who's ex ex uh, extraordinarily dominant, has like four different pitches. They can overlay their wind up mm. to where you can, they show the release point and it's always the same. And then they show the pitch, the four pitches, and it starts off the same way, but each pitch goes and does a different thing. You just imagine being a hitter trying to hit this stuff, man, where you're just like, oh, that's the fastball. And then it just dives down into the ground. I mean, the discipline to have that same release point. Mm-hmm. When I played Little League, as a 15-year-old, I was scared of 60-mile-an-hour pitches. Mm -hmm, <laughs> I was mm -hmm. stepping to the bucket and swinging it and hoping for the best. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> I can't imagine facing 90-some-mile-an-hour, and then it actually this time turns out to be a 74-mile-an-hour hit-my-toe pitch, but yeah. I still swing at it. Yeah, and there are, man, it's kind of it's kind of getting a little scary. Um, there, I mean, Aroldis Chapman threw an 106 mile an hour pitch a few years ago um and that was considered like you know an anomaly like because even he is even though he hits 100 regularly 106 was was ridiculous and that's something that you can't just do with impunity but now you're seeing relievers come out there they're throwing 102 103 and there's a guy coming out of the University of Tennessee who's getting all sorts of hype because he can throw 105 and 106, and it's like, wow, man. I mean, just you know, it, you know, 95 used to be like like an unbelievable uh, speed, and then now they're <laughs> getting 10 miles an hour faster than that, and you know, people getting hit with that pitch, man. That's just gonna be, that's gonna be awful. Like Bryce Harper. Mm-hmm. Got hit in the thumb and yeah. said, "I'd rather get hit in the face because it won't break my face." Right, right, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Bryce Harper, talk oh. about a guy, man. I hated that dude when he came up. Yeah. Hated him, and he, and and part of it is because he was a young dude. He was nineteen. Yeah. He was an asshole. Yeah, he was a hot shot. And 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 so like, uh, but now over the years, I've really grown to appreciate that dude. I think he's really yeah. awesome.